0: Good to have you here today with us. If you have your Bibles, I want you to pre-mark them, if you would, and join me. Yes? Oh, kids! Oh, my word! Yes, we want to release the kids. Let's take a couple minutes to do that. And while we're doing that, um, sorry, Tammy, kind of got carried away. you forgive me? Yeah. If you're, uh, while you're, the kids are going, if you'll, if you'll join me, if you have your Bibles, join me in Hebrews Chapter Thirteen, Hebrews chapter 13, what I love about the word of God when we are doing these series and things, um, you know, if the Lord wants to interrupt what he wants to say in the middle of my preparation, I just let him do it. And so if we got to pick Hebrews up in a month from now, we can do that. Uh, I'm all about letting the word of God speak. How about you? Yeah, Yeah, so that's what we're going to do today. So pre-mark your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. Today is Palm Sunday. Yes, today is Palm Sunday. Today, we commemorate um, the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's a celebration of sorts. Scripture tells us that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a colt. It was like a, like a, like a baby donkey, I guess I would say. He rode in on a colt, um, making his entry into Jerusalem are uh, surrounded by the crowds and the shouts of Hosanna, which is save now, and uh, glory to not glory to God in the highest. That's Easter and and um, and Christmas, but but Hosanna! Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And the Jewish nation at that time was was looking for Messiah, and they believed that Jesus was it. So 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 as Jesus made his triumphal entry. The the crowd had taken off their coats and they laid them down on the ground and they they cut off branches from the trees. And that's why we call it Palm Sunday. And They they laid it on the path of Jesus to symbolize a, a king royalty in all his pomp and circumstances coming now to rescue and save the Jewish nation from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so they were excited. And so they were saying, Hosanna. It's our time, all right? So now I want you to put that in the oven for a minute. I want you to fast forward a week. Because next Sunday represents the time that we proclaim the most important event in all of human history. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event in all. Of human history. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, our teaching, our living, what we do, it's all in vain if Christ is not raised. The resurrection of Christ is what we celebrate on Easter. And so I want you to put that in an oven on the other side. Between the shouts of Hosanna, and before the resurrection could even occur, Scripture tells us that the eternal Lamb of God, between Hosanna and the resurrection, Scripture tells us that the eternal Lamb of God would have to be slain. Hmm. And that's what Hebrews is all about, as a reminder for us. Of the superiority and the supremacy, say slow down, Pastor. Thank you very much. The supremacy of Christ. So, this final chapter of Hebrews really serves as a final formal conclusion to this sermon, because Hebrews really is a sermon. And so, our text today captures and emphasizes several fundamental questions that are left for us to wrestle with. Why? Because this section of scripture is packed with eternal truth and eternal principles that God leaves us with, along with some practical applications for how we're supposed to live our lives. So I've titled this sermon today, For Those Who Would Live Triumphantly. For Those Who Would Live Triumphantly. I had you join me in Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to pick up where Mike Pagano left off a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to pick up in verse 25 and following. And here's what the preacher says. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape, will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At the same time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, that's the temporary things, in order that the things that cannot be shaken, the eternal things may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why, preacher, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me capture that in a nutshell. Let me tell you what the the preacher is saying. He says, be certain that after all has been said and after all has been done, be certain that only the eternal principles of the word of God and the eternal principles of the kingdom of God will remain. Be certain of that. And so so the, the message for us today is since we've embraced the gospel of Christ and in him we have everything that we need and anything of any real substance, it already belongs to us. How will we allow this to be the truth that fuels our life? How will we respond to this grace that has been so freely given to us in order that we might live a triumphant life? I believe this text today gives us this passage in Hebrews chapter 13 offers three practical challenges for those who sincerely want to live triumphantly in their spiritual lives. And here's the first challenge. If we want to live a triumphant spiritual life, we must first capture a Christ-centered vision. Capture a Christ-centered vision. Drop down to verse 10. Let's read that. For we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go with him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city, the city that is to come. To him, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips and acknowledge his name. Hmm. Verses 10 through 15 tell us that it's through the atoning work of Christ on the cross that Jesus gave us this eternal altar through which we have become partakers of his grace, a grace that those outside of relationship with Jesus Christ can never experience, they can never partake of, they can never enjoy. Remember, we've been teaching in this this book about the altar, The altar, remember, is a place where the animals were slaughtered and they were offered as a sacrifice. And with all of the sacrifices that were made, once the animal was sacrificed, the the folk could get their grub on. No, that means they could eat the animals. They could get their grub on with all of the animal sacrifices except for the sacrifice of atonement, and here's why. Because the sacrifice of atonement When it was offered, the blood was considered holy, and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The body was considered unholy, representing the sin of the people, and therefore it was forbidden to be eaten. And so the body was taken outside the city, outside of the city, and it was burned outside of the camp. So now add to that the physical circumstances of Israel's camp, how they lived. Outside the camp was reserved for the unclean. And and they were forbidden as, as Jewish people to go into areas that were unclean. The camp itself was for the common folk and considered clean. And then the tent, the tent was considered holy. And inside the tent was the holy place, the most holy place, or the holy of holies is called. And so living under this kind of structure Represented normal life for the Jews. It was a normal movement of life. They were always trying to earn their righteousness through sacrifices and and works and education or social status or, or genealogy. It became a constant effort to move towards the holy by running away from the common and abstaining from the unholy. Here's why. Because the the children of Israel did not have a God-centered vision of life. Instead, they had a sin-centered vision. Everything was about making up for their own sinfulness. I call it navel-gazing. Taking, taking such a close look at, the, at what's going on on the inside of them that they never could look up long enough to see the salvation that was freely given to them through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our passage today, family, reminds us that we have an altar of grace. <laughs> you see, Jesus did not have to suffer and die in the holy place for us. No, instead, the atoning work of Jesus Christ was made available to everyone in every place. He made every place holy. He lived and died outside of the camp amongst the unclean. And his death did not further defile the sinner. Instead, it purified the sinner and made him holy. Mm. And so because of the sacrifice of Christ, life for us is not a struggle to escape sin and run into holiness. Instead, life grants us the privilege of taking God's grace that has been bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ, watch this now, outside the camp to those who don't believe they deserve it or that it's unattainable. And so it's this message of grace, family, that I believe should permeate and saturate. Every aspect of our lives and as followers of Christ should compel us to step outside the camp. Outside of our comfort zone. Outside of the four walls of the church. Because that's what it means to be like Jesus. You see, Jesus spent more time with those outside the church than he did with those inside the church. That's what it means to have a Christ-centered vision. That's the vision for our church, to see life in Christ for every Alaskan in the world beyond. That's our vision of our church. It's fueled by our mission to cultivate the life of Christ in others, to be a community of Christ followers, intentionally cultivating the life of Christ in others. It's a very clear vision and a very clear mission. I want you to know that. Now, I want to dispel possibly some rumors that have been going on about about our elder team and, and how we're not unified around the vision of the church. It's not true. All of the elders share the vision of the church to see us become a church that makes disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ who are equipped to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we all agree with that vision. But I want to take you back just a little bit, back to March the 1st, because I want you to understand, you know, as an elder team, we haven't been eldering long. (laughs) I mean, we haven't been eldering long. We were ordained on Sunday and hit the ground running on Monday. And so there's a lot that we don't know as an elder team, right? But when it comes to our vision, we're clear on that. Here's what we're not clear on yet. Okay? The, and, and I love the way that the Air Force uses this term. Um, I, by, by the way, for those of you who don't know, I spent 20 years, one day, three hours, and 15 minutes in the military. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh-rah! laughs> yeah, so, so, so the Air Force has this term that they use. It's, call, it's a procession. They call it when you get leaders together, they, and you know, you've got a bunch of high-powered leaders, and they're coming together, and everybody's strongly opinionated. The Air Force calls it forming, storming, norming, and performing. Forming, storming, norming, and performing. And here's why they use that. You see, because in the Air Force, when you pull a bunch of leaders together, the first thing you have to do is form the team. right? And so we formed the team back in September. But we didn't start eldering until March. We're storming now. You should hear our elder meetings on Wednesday mornings. (laughs) Personalities flying all over the place. Why? Because all of us are passionate to see God's church be run God's way. Yeah. And so we have a vision. This passage says for all of us, if we want to live a triumphant life, Each of us needs to capture a Christ-centered vision for our life. That's the first challenge. Here's the second challenge from our text today. Choose to follow in his steps. Choose to follow in his steps. Let's read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 13. Choose to follow in his steps. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those that are in prison as, as though in prison with them. I love that. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now drop down to verse 16 because it goes right along with this passage. I love this because I really believe that verse 15 and 16 really becomes the staple for this entire passage. Look at what, what verse 16 says. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing. Everyone say pleasing. Everyone say Pleasing yes, pleasing, yes, just zinging, there you go, are pleasing, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hmm. Choose to follow in his steps. In order to do that, the first thing we need to do, family, is we need to step into human heartache. We need to step into human heartache. Because listen, Jesus, Jesus didn't, didn't just sit around in the synagogue Choosing to protect himself from the consequences of of going into sin. Instead, he chose to enter into the suffering of the most desperate people. He chose to go there. And so to live as Jesus lives, family, we also have to be willing to choose to go there. To choose to enter into the heartache of others. Why? Why? Because when we choose to do this, we may never know the significance of that one simple act. This side of heaven. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us to be careful how we entertain strangers. For for some have entertained angels unaware, weren't even aware that we were entertaining angels. So let me ask you a question. How would you treat everyone that you knew if you knew who you were talking to was an angel? Hmm. Hmm. I'd say this, too. Most people tend to think that all angels are are angelic beings, heavenly beings from the heavenly host, spirit beings. And that's true. Angels are created beings, spirit beings living in the spirit realm. Scripture tells us they can manifest themselves naturally. We can find we can find record of that in the Old Testament, can't we? So angels, angelic beings, spirit beings can manifest themselves naturally. But here's what I don't want you to miss. The word angel in the Greek simply means messenger from God. So watch this now. As we enter into the struggle of others' heartaches, by helping someone along the way, by being the hands and feet of Jesus, we may be the angels, the messenger of God that they need in their life in that particular moment. And as as a matter of fact, I'd say it like this. I I know that I have personally had people that when they got done ministering to my knees, I said, man, you are like an angel from God sent to me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Hmm. Advancing the work of God. Listen, when we enter into another person's heartache, it becomes a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. So how can we do this practically? The scripture tells us. First, remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them. A little side journey. This ain't in my notes. Man, i tell you what. I go out to, the, to prison at Palmer um, every other week. Man, I wouldn't want to be in prison with them. But that's not the point. The point is remember their heartache and suffering and engage them as if you were sitting in that prison cell yourself. Come on, somebody. What else can we do? We can comfort them, treat as if we're enduring their suffering. We're to treat others as if we're living in the same world that they're living in. <laughs> and by doing this, family listen, we make the, cho- the conscious choice To follow in the steps of Jesus. We also follow in the steps of Jesus when we step up to loyal love. The Bible says we're to love one another with the love of Christ. That's covenant love. It's a love that's lasting. It can be counted on no matter what. Look, just as Jesus laid down his life in obedience to the father to make good on his covenant promise with the father. Covenant love, family, calls us to lay down our lives and our own personal agenda for the sake of others. Scripture. Specifically, verses 4 through 6 instruct us to imitate loyal love with respect to the covenants we make to our spouse and to our God. These verses remind us that we're to honor lifelong promises and lifelong commitments. And, 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 and I think it's interesting the way that the, the, the preacher puts this because he, he takes sex outside of marriage and he takes the love of money and he juxtaposes them. And both in this passage are described as adultery. Adultery occurs when we give our lives to a person, to one person and we're promised to another. Spiritual adultery occurs hmm, When we cannot be content with what God has already given us and we reach out to take something different for ourselves, it's an illusion. It's an illusion when we do that. It's an illusion for us to believe that life would be so much better if I had another lover. It's an illusion for us to believe that life would be so much better if I had more money or if I had more stuff. It's an illusion. When we cheat on our spouses or we engage in premarital sex, we take this seemingly easy pathway to love. But the reality is that that road is fraught with pain and suffering and pitfalls that will devour you. And when we do that, it sets us up to never experience the miracle of God that can only be found in covenantal relationship. Oh, I know I'm preaching today. <laughs> Family, when the love of money captures our heart, it can only provide a temporary pleasure because money, the love of money is a fleeting thing. It can only, it can only provide a temporary pleasure that can't even come close to the joy that we experience when we wait on the provision of God and he overwhelms us with his provision. So I want to challenge you today, family, in light of these things, stay faithful in your life. Let's trust God for his faithfulness because he will reward us. He will do it if we'll just stay faithful. So the first challenge to capture a Christ-centered vision. The second is to choose to follow in his steps. The third challenge for a triumphant living is to commit to follow godly leadership. Commit to follow godly leadership. Drop down to verse 7 of chapter 13. Remember those leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Hmm. These three verses that I just read, these verses focus on the leaders that have gone before us, that have paved the way for godly living for us. So what this text tells us today is that when we're judging the life of a leader, we should consider three things. Here's the first. We need to consider the outcome of their lifestyle. Is their life worth imitating? And if it is, do it. Imitate it. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, Jesus is not about to change. He's not going to change. He's the same. And so watch this now. What God did for the leaders that we imitate, he'll do it for us. Hmm. Consider their teaching. Is it legalistic or is it full of grace and truth? And does it remain true in the proper context of scripture? I have a a spiritual mentor who's gone on to be with the Lord. He's one of those guys that, that... that uh that's in that great cloud of witnesses now. His name was Horace Bison, and when he would when he would teach me the word, he would look over his glasses like this. And he said, Gregory, let me tell you something. This word, this word is it. Let me tell you something. That that was his favorite thing. Let me tell you something. If it don't line up with this word, you don't do it. If it don't line up with this word, you don't listen to it. If you don't line up with this word, don't follow it. I don't care how eloquent they speak. They could be erudite and scholarly. He used to love to use those words, didn't he, Tim? He used to, to... Herodite and scholarly, I don't care. If it don't line up with this word, don't follow it. (laughs) What to consider? Does their teaching promote unity or cause division and discord in the body? Let me tell you something, family. Any teaching, any teaching, I don't care where it is. I don't care what it is. Any teaching that sows discord in the body and in the church is not of God. You should go to Proverbs chapter 6, I believe it is, somewhere around verse 19. It's one of the things that God hates. The third thing you need to consider is consider their work. Do they take your spiritual growth and well-being seriously? Or do they seek to control you or lord over you? Consider those who have gone before you. Then having exhorted the Hebrews, the preacher tells them, now you can keep in mind the former teachers, but I also want you to adhere to the teaching of those who are set in front of you. And so he encourages those, the Hebrews to obey the leaders that are in front of them and yield themselves trustfully to their teaching. Let me read to you what verse 17 says. It says, obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. In other words, how can I say this? In other words, when the Lord, when the Lord gives something to a leader and you're in dialogue or discourse with that leader, when the Lord gives that leader something, Don't make his life miserable, (laughs) y'all. Don't make their life miserable. Hmm. Let them do this with joy, those who listen, and not with groaning. I want that to happen, for this would be no advantage to you. It does you no good when you have a leader that's distressed. Hmm. I want to take you back to a passage of scripture that I want. I'll tell you what, man. This passage of scripture has rocked my world for years. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. That's in the Old Testament. I told y'all, some of you laugh about this, but we have some brand new followers of Jesus Christ that don't know how to navigate their Bible right yet, and that's fine. We'll take our time and help you find it. Okay, so, so Ezekiel now has been in the presence of God for like seven days, and the things that God is showing him, he's been overwhelmed by, right? Pick it up in verse 16. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. In other words, you will be responsible if I tell you to warn someone and you don't want them. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. Verse 20. And again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block before him, I put something in his pathway to cause him to stumble and to fall, even to die. Listen. Because you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin, and, and his righteous deeds shall not be, that he has done shall not be remembered. But listen, but his blood will I require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. as a teaching elder of this church, it is my responsibility to speak the truth to you in love. Have to do it. See, because I'm not going to stand before God one day to give an account of the things that, I'm so, that I was supposed to say and didn't say, or the things that I wasn't supposed to say and got in the flesh and said. I'm not going to do it. No, as a matter of fact, I've often said that, and, and you've heard me say this before, I want my relationship to be so tight with God that, that my, I, I, I go to him clean hands and a pure heart. And on Judgment Day, when all of us have to stand before God, and check this out, all of us, every single one of us, one day are going to have to stand before Jesus. We're going to see him face to face. I'm not going to stand before God and not speak the truth. Not doing it. Matter of fact, I want my relationship with God to be so tight that, that he sees me coming and I get a go-to-heaven-free pass. I don't have to stand in front of him. <laughs> and, and I kind of get a vision for how that feels because, you know, my wife and I, we, we, we used to travel a whole lot more than we do. And, but when we travel, we, you got to go through airport security. You know how that, that's just, I don't like going through airport security because they, like, make you take everything off these days, right? But, but when you go through airport security, sometimes you have to stand in that long, snaking line. You know, you know how that is? Sometimes be 50, 60, 70 people in that line, you know. And, and so my wife and I, we go to get up in the line, right? And there's this woman there. I'm not going to tell you her name because you might try to take advantage of her. There's this woman there that, that we've known for all of our life, and when she sees us, no matter how long that line is, she always goes like this. And see, she works over in the MVP line where there's normally like only one or two people, sometimes zero people. So when she, when she pulls us forward, she gives us a pass to go right in front of all those other people to get to the front of the line. Favor. Let me tell you something. One day when I stand before Jesus, I want him to look And I might be 10, 15, maybe 100 people back. And I want him to look and I want him to just start laughing. When he sees me, just start laughing and just do like this and just, hey, man, well done. I want him to start laughing, but I feel sorry for the person that's in front of him because if Jesus drops his head while he's talking to him, he sees me, he drops his head and does like this and starts laughing. You know that person standing there is thinking, oh, Lord, I'm going to hell. No, but I want him to see me. I want him just to just say, hey, man, you go, you, you go in. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Why? Because you have been faithful to do what I called you to do. I want that. Hmm. So to that I'd say this. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, doesn't matter. Be sure to question any teaching that doesn't line up with the word of God. Be careful. And I want to say this. All of us should be hearing from God on a consistent basis. When Jesus stood before the Father and he presented himself as the spotless lamb of God, he gave every single one of us direct access to the throne. Is that right? So every single one of us should hear from God for ourselves. But let me tell you something. Just because you hear from God for yourself doesn't mean that you can't get in the weeds. Doesn't mean that your your walk doesn't have to be calibrated every now and then. So listen, that's why I believe that it 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 is paramount for each one of us to find and connect with seasoned followers of God to walk along with us on this life's journey. Listen, I have three or four pastors that are older than me that's speaking to my life on a consistent basis. And I know y'all are saying, y'all, they, they must be old, pastor. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but i talked to three or four pastors last week, older than me, have more wisdom to, than me to help me navigate through some of the things of life. We all need that. We all need that way of calibration. Listen, and if you have questions about anything doctrinally, don't don't be afraid to ask and don't assume anything. Always test the scriptures. Test the spirits to see whether they be of God. Test the teaching of the scripture to see whether or not it aligns with scripture. If it's being spoken in its proper context. And if you're not sure, that's why we have elders in our church. Come to our elders and ask. Somebody say amen. Thank you very much. Why? Because as leaders of this church, we have been charged to lead this church. We have been placed in charge for each person's spiritual well-being in this church. And one day, we have to stand before God and give an account for the things that we should say and we didn't. So here's the point, when you have leaders who are walking in victory themselves, who are teaching the liberty of God's grace as revealed in his word, who take a personal interest in you, rejoicing when you rejoice, mourning when you mourn, hurting when you hurt, are willing to walk side by side and labor side by side with you, diligent to cultivate your personal and spiritual growth through discipleship, committed to leading you responsibly, and Ryan, I see you got your baby. Why don't you bring Hannah up here too with you? Just, and you come on up. Get under their care. Stay under their care. And listen, be thankful for them. Rejoice with them. Why? Because it allows leadership to do their jobs with joy. And then God turns their joy into your advantage, and he turns our joy into your advantage. Did I say that right? Okay. So in closing, I want to say this. How do you experience triumphant living? First thing you do is you capture a Christ-centered vision. Then you choose by choice, by the volition of your own heart, to walk in his steps and follow his lead. And then the third thing is you commit to follow godly leadership. And family, I'll tell you this. If we will abide by those eternal principles of God's word and those eternal principles of God's kingdom, we will live a triumphant life. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And I thank you for your word that is instant, in season, and out of season. I pray, Lord, that each word that was spoken here today is not taken for granted, and that it doesn't fall on deaf ears, but that it falls on the fertile soil of our hearts so that we'll be hearers of your word and not just doers. We pray these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus.